Breaking the cycle to step forward. Authentic conversations from lived experience and a professional perspective in overcoming abuse with Chris Tuck and Beverly Ann. Hi everyone, this is Breaking the Cycle to Step Forward podcast with me, Chris Tuck, and me, Beverly Ann. Hello. And it's podcast number 11, Beverly. Yes, it is. And this week we're continuing our conversation about having children um, and coming into parents, especially if we go on to have other children but in our case and we just want to reiterate from last week if for any reason you're unable to have children or this is a really sensitive subject for you and challenging please be very aware that we're sharing our stories and our experiences yours may be very different um, and it's important to look after yourself with self-care but we want to just open the conversation about this yeah, being real as ever, as authentic as ever, and sharing lived experience, but also from a professional standpoint as well, where yes. we work professionally in our capacities as trauma-informed holistic practitioners of different sorts. Yes, exactly that. So that's one thing we want to make clear. We're not midwives, um, and we have got somebody that will be coming on as a guest, but you know, from a lived experience, from our authentic conversation, it's important that everybody's clear on our boundaries. Exactly. Yeah. So I think we finished off last week just speaking about um, after uh, giving birth to our first children. And then we were going to move on to the period of time between birth of the second child. And that's a lot of stuff for me. What about you? For me, because it was more familiar, I could actually, the birth it was actually easier for me. And for those of you who are looking at the video, last week you heard Coco snoring. So this week I put her on my lap because she was scratching at the door, just so you could see her. Um, yeah, so I found it easier because I knew what to expect. And for me, once I know what to expect, I can relax more into it rather than it's the unknown for me that is more scary and fearful. That is just so different to how I handled it and what I experienced. Um, because for me, uh, I got pregnant within one month of deciding to have a child the first time round. And I thought, oh, I get pregnant easily, it's going to be okay, I can get pregnant easily again when I choose to, can't I? Well, unfortunately, 18 months after having my son, um, my mental health took a slide and I became very traumatised and I didn't understand what was happening to me. Um, so that's when I had my breakthrough. Um, at the time, it was a complete breakdown, but I now, looking back in hindsight, call it my breakthrough. Um, and because of all of that, my body um, went into a bit of a shock and my period stopped. So here I was wanting another child, wanting to get pregnant. But when your period stopped, obviously that can't happen. So I had to learn about stress. What is it was causing me the stress? What could I do about it? And to cut a long story short, there's five years almost between my two children and the fact that when I got pregnant with my second one and I went into labour with her, it was 
oh no, I know what's coming. It's going to be horrific. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. Um, so it almost caused a lot of stress and overwhelm for me. And that birth was completely different from the first one. It, it I'm not going to go into it, but it was not nice. It, I was in labour for over three days um, on and off with all of the interventions and everything that they were doing. Um, and I had to have an emergency C-section in the end to save her life, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can imagine what that did to me. Um, I went into complete meltdown after giving birth to her. So here I was at home. Um, the whole side of my house was off. We was having an extension and literally the whole side of my house was off. There were I was living in one room upstairs with a two year old, nearly two. Was he? No, he wasn't. He, he must have been five. Four. Yeah, he was yeah. four and a half. Excuse me. Um, a four and a half year old who was having sleep apnea and issues. Um, and with obviously with my husband on shift work and then a newborn baby um, all living in one room because the rest of the house was chaos. So the doctor ended up coming round because I had cold sores literally oh. all around my mouth, up my nose. I had infections I had so much going on no sleep duh, 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 duh. so no it was not a nice time for me no no um, and I'm really sorry to hear that well with me um I didn't actually plan to have my second pregnancy it happened and if I'm really pleased if really honest I was pleased with that it took it out of my control if I, yeah um because there was still some things that I was obviously what I'd experienced before and I had experienced a miscarriage as well right so that birth went really smoothly and as I said I tended to relax more and that actually showed in the birth mm. because I was actually my daughter was two weeks late they took me in and said right tomorrow we're inducing you and I was like tomorrow and it was in August it was really hot and I was like huge and um, with that, um, I suddenly got some pains and I knew they weren't bad, but I said, oh, can you call my husband back? Because I know they're like really bad. I made them out to be worse than what they were. Instinctively, I knew she was coming. Um, and then they broke my waters because they had to do that the first time. And an hour and a half later, out she popped. Wow. Yeah, it was as as easy as that I'm not going to say it wasn't for me it caught up with me because she was a girl right and it was that fear because <gasps> I just thought it's going to be a boy or a girl I wasn't sure but I just kept thinking a boy but then once I had a girl it was that responsibility how will I keep her safe which I had with my first but I was dealing with so many much with my first I hadn't considered that do you see what I mean? Um, so what I didn't realise is it, she was starting to um, trigger me, if I'm really honest, and mirror me. Here was a baby and it was starting to mirror me. And as my son was getting older um, and as he was approaching three, it was a real mirror of what happened to me when I was older. So looking back now, I can see how I was, and I love this word, discombobulating and trying really hard to be in control. And, you know, 
try and you know being the best parent possible so self-care went out the window you know it was about feeding my children oh and then maybe I'll have something to eat it was about making sure that the house was clean because then I could be the best mum the best wife and it that's when self-care really did let itself go and I didn't understand that and I had my breakthrough or breakdown um the first time when I reached out and I needed to speak to somebody and that was when my daughter was about six months old and I phoned Samaritans because I was trying to I was trying to break the cycle on my own of the toxic parenting that I'd experienced and you know sometimes when we go into that overdrive you know I'm going to do this I'm going to change this and I tried to change so much at one time that I couldn't sustain it and that's when I reached out for help. But like you say, it's a breakthrough. But again, when you're going through it, you don't know that that's what you're experiencing, do you? You don't know that that's what you've got to deal with. That's why I think it's so important, what, like what we were speaking about last week, that if you can pass all of this stress on through into your baby, then it would be ideal for anybody that's suffering from trauma because as a result of um, sexual violence or abuse in childhood, that they have all of this knowledge and awareness before you actually get pregnant. Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, you know, that, I mean, as survivors, we carry a certain amount of guilt. And I was carrying a lot of guilt at that time for being a survivor, for all the experiences of my childhood without realising it. I didn't know. So then I wanted to be the best parent I could possibly be. Because if I did one little thing wrong, I was feeling the guilt was just overloading. And I remember that feeling. I just want this all to stop. So it wasn't necessarily that I wanted my life to stop because I had these children that I loved and, you know, I wanted to be there for them. But I just wanted that feeling to stop of being, you know, I just didn't know I wasn't in control. Everything was in a spin. And that's when I reached out for for Samaritans. um, And that's when I was able to reach out and I was referred to a charity. And ironically, I started counselling with a specialist counsellor back then and that was even more challenging to get to speak to somebody who was in that area of sexual abuse and I'm not saying it wasn't challenging doing the sessions because it took I I did for nearly two years I worked with her however it was a different challenge it was a, a trickle release 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 I was physically unwell as well but to know that you were supported to know that you had someone that you could see regularly and you know even if it was an hour once a fortnight I I would make sure that the kids were sorted and I'd go for that that hour and it made made a huge difference and I didn't realize back then exactly how much of a difference it made but you know we know that being a parent is hard work anyway and put pile on that no sleep you know, you do get you know, a bit testy with your temper and you get like, life's against you and all the rest of it. So life is hard enough. But when you're dealing with the big rock trauma and you're not quite, you know, you don't actually know that that's what you're suffering from at the time. But it's only when you get open up and you tell people what's going on for you, 
you know that your emotions are all over the place, you know your hormones are all over the place because that's what pregnancy and birthing does to you. Um, you're fighting a, a, a losing battle really in a lot of case, a lot of instances. And this is where I think victim survivors really do need that extra care, that extra support and guidance really. And I, I just don't think that's available. Yes, and what I'm going to say is, I'm um, going to reiterate here something that you said before as well. Survivors of abuse, whether it be emotional, physical and sexual, the other thing is as well, as we said last week, we weren't even aware, though, yeah. that we were survivors. Yeah. Because at that time, we were still in the victim state is of not knowing, not realising, thinking that our childhood was normal. And that's where I understand that's the challenge there, because if somebody had spoken to us, although I was able to say it matter-of-factly, but... For somebody, I do feel, you know, it's going to be challenging for people to change it, but it's worth, I do believe we do need to be able to ask the questions because it helps to raise awareness and to know that people are supported, especially as young mums. And I, I just think that as well, the message that we want to give out is one of hope and one of help and one of support because it's like, if you've gone through any kind of childhood trauma because of abuse, sorry, any kind of trauma because of abuse, um, we know people are going to be impacted in a similar way. And if we can bring this to their attention, that if you've gone through this, you might go through this. So therefore you can do this. It just opens up their eyes. It makes them aware and then they like they can dot their eyes across the T's and sort of like think, oh, my goodness, yes, that is happening to me. It's absolutely normal because Chris and Beverly have talked, spoken about that. And I'm going to reach out and get help as soon as rather than trucking on, trucking on and thinking, oh, what's wrong with me? Judgment, judgment, judgment on yourself. Um, keep working harder and harder and then having a complete breakdown. You know, yes, we absolutely. don't want that for people, do we? No. And, and this is where for the for the the carrier of the baby and i'm going to say carrier the mother yeah. of the baby or say carrier um the hormones is an an an, an additional part yeah. of this because in all fairness you may have not carried the baby but if you've adopted or if you're fostering or you're the caregiver as a parent because it can be men as well you know mm -hmm. some of the same mirrors are the same thing and everything changes when you have a young person that you're responsible for so I do want to bring that that part in as well but you know because we're we're about inclusivity as well yeah 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 and for me Chris I, I'm going to ask you this question you know we have our our older selves so in the moment and then we have our inner child so for you looking back can you were you are you able to see where you had mirrors from your inner child being triggered in you as an adult yeah. as hang on parent? I'm going to go back one bit what does mirror actually mean Beverly so for it's, again good question because I didn't know what that was at the time so what was happening to me being triggered is as my children were reaching certain milestones or doing certain things it was like looking at a film or seeing a mirror of myself when I was their age so I was getting flashbacks yeah so for me um 
writing the book and really the age of seven, 1977, the last Christmas with mum and dad before mum and dad split up, age of seven is just when I know everything went wrong, everything fell apart. Um, and I just remember being the age of seven and looking out for my siblings and being all grown up and having to take on that role of carer for everybody. Um, so it was really important for me um, that the age of seven, excuse me, everything's just turning on and off now by itself. It will turn off in a moment. Um, at the age of seven, I saw my nephew the other week at his seventh birthday party. Yeah. And I looked at him and I went, my brain was going, he's so small. He's playing with a balloon. He's eating cake. He's just playing. He hasn't got a care in the world. That wasn't me at seven. And then I thought, how could I be all of the things that I remember about myself at the age of seven? How could that be even possible? Because here is a seven year old holding the mirror up. How could I be responsible for all of that at the age of seven? H how? How did it happen? And yeah. how did I manage that? You know, because seven year olds and, and younger and like slightly older, we shouldn't be responsible for any of this. Absolutely. And it's that mirror that, like you say, you know, we're able to talk about it now, but subconsciously when that happens, then there's also another side of that is grief about the seven, yeah. you know, you didn't have that. So here you are as a parent seeing younger children, whether it be other children, whether it be your own children. Yeah. And so you're seeing yourself as a younger child and it's triggering things off in your subconscious so if you're if that's all happening no wonder sometimes we find it challenging yeah and we know don't we from speaking to other victim survivors that uh, they said um especially i think the um mal in the relationship that because they haven't carried the child and given birth it was when their child got to their age when their abuse happened that's when it really hit them like hard yeah. like I yeah I was only a little person why did they do that to me and yeah. you know you know so you're this strong big burly bloke um but you are inside you're that small tiny child and you're going to have all of those feelings and thoughts from being that tiny child and yeah. no one had the right to abuse you you didn't deserve it um, and the perpetrators are the ones at fault. And we have to keep reiterating that to all of the adults that have been victims and are survivors of these crimes. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's why just for a minute, for anyone watching and listening, please take a deep breath right now, because we are, you know, we are talking about triggers but we're doing that so that we can acknowledge them. And once we acknowledge them, we know, won't necessarily release them straight away, but we can start asking ourselves, what support do I need? Yeah, exactly. It's acknowledging and then trying to find the help and support, isn't it? Yeah. And often that comes from peer to peer is like me and you, we support each other outside of all of this. Um, and it's about finding that person that you can trust and have these conversations with so you can help keep yourself well. Yes. So 
I look back as well. There's other things I see. I see how my children triggered me so unintentionally. You know, as the, as toddlers and when they get a little bit older and they say, um, go away, I don't love you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that, that, I mean, by then I was having support and I was able to talk about it, but yeah. I found that really challenging. It was like, no way. Yeah, after all this, you say yes. that to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a massive trigger. But I think also, Beverly, like, as you said, you were trying to be the perfect parent because I think we try and overwork, we overcompensate. And I know some victim survivors that literally give their children everything and anything and they go without themselves, a bit like what you described. Um, but for me... I never did that, but I always made sure I bought shoes from Clark's for their feet. I wasn't going to ram their feet into any old shoe, mm -hmm. cheap shoe. So even though I probably couldn't afford it, they always had Clark's shoes because it was wide and it was a good fit and all the rest of it because I never had that growing up. So even though I didn't go overboard and give them everything and anything, I made sure that they had the best that my budget could buy. Um, and I really wasn't into designer clothes or anything like that, but I know some people are. Um, but I always, they always had clean clothes on. So as soon as they messed themselves a little bit, it was straight into clean clothes because I was worried about social services turning yes. up, judging me and my children not staying with me. And yeah. that was a legitimate concern um, for me. And I know for many victim and survivors, that has happened in their lives and for some people they've had their children taken away when it shouldn't have happened and in other instances the children were taken away and that was the right decision so you know that's a very it's controversial area absolutely absolutely away from but that was a legitimate concern for me and that's yeah. why I worked overboard to yes make sure like that you come to my house now it only gets tidied when someone comes around and I really don't get a monkey because service level it's clean but it's lived in yeah but when I was bringing them up as children everything had a place oh. if it wasn't in its place I got stressed out and overwhelmed absolutely and I'm with you there I'm with you ditto one of the things I will say it is because of my children and wanting to change the cycle that when you know I had my two years counseling when they became older I or when counselling got really tough, and when I say my therapy got really tough, what I did, I continued it knowing that I wanted to break the cycle. I knew, I realised that this is challenging, but it's the gift that keeps on giving for me, but also I want to be able to do this for my children because I want to ensure I can be, be the best, but you know what? Bring me into it. Be me. And I also um, had that feeling when they became teenagers that I was out of control um, and I actually went to parenting classes because how would I know how to parent yeah if I came from that toxic background and yeah. I'm actually really proud that I went to parenting classes and it's a shame we don't have parenting classes available for everybody as a norm as a norm yeah regardless you know you know, just say caregivers, you know, for caregivers, because yeah. I remember sitting around the 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 um the, the room and, and feeling like 
my name's Beverly Webb and I'm a bad mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think anybody that, I think there is a bit of a taboo about asking for help and seeking help when it comes to your children because of that fear and that worry that um, you're not looking after your children, um, yeah. social services, um, duh, 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 duh. there is a real worry and fear there. However, um, and again, I'm sharing on behalf of my sister and she doesn't mind me sharing her stuff. Um, when she seeked help because she was going through some clinical depression and she was asking for some respite care for her children so she could get well, they turned, social services turned around and said, well, is she abusing them? And she's like, no, of course I wouldn't abuse my children. I love them, but I'm finding it really difficult to look after their needs because I can't look after myself. And they went, sorry, we can't help you unless you're hitting them and abusing them. And, uh, and that that is such a challenge because the courage, the courage to say, I need some support, I need yeah. some help is immense, you know, and your sister is, you know, an amazing character as yeah. we all are. Yeah. And parenting is a challenge. What I will say is when I was sitting around the room, I was hearing stories from other parents. Yeah. And the best thing was like, I was looking at them, them thinking, oh, but you look like proper parents. But you don't know the answer, which when I went home and thought about it, I thought, no, Beverly, they're, they're there for the same reason. Stop judging yourself. But also we were reassured that we were good parents because we were wanting to find out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and we were prepared to look at ourselves. Yeah, and that's amazing because there's yeah. a lot of people that blame everybody else for everything that's going wrong for them and also just don't want to look at themselves and where they are in all of this and what is it that they're doing that's causing concerns and causing impact. Um, I think as an adult, we do have the responsibility, the ability to respond differently to enable us to be better parents by acknowledging where we're not doing such a great job or where we are struggling and asking for that help and reaching out for that help. I think that can only be a good thing. Absolutely, but it, that takes a lot. I remember when I was asked in the parenting classes, um, do you like, and I'm not gonna say which one because it's mm -hmm. not fair, but one of your children. And I said, of course I love my children. And they said, no, we didn't ask that. We know you love your children, you're here, but do you like their behavior at the moment? And I burst into tears and said, no, I don't. And they said, that's okay, that's normal. Yeah. But yeah. I thought if I was to say I didn't like that behavior, that would make me a bad, bad person. But we often say, we don't usually say we don't like their behaviour. We just say we don't like them at the moment or we don't like them, but that's not what we mean. We mean we don't like their behaviour, but we don't actually say it correctly. Yes. So when someone said to you, we know you love them, but you just don't like them. There's loads of times when my kids, I don't like their behaviour. There's probably loads of times when they look at me and think, my God, I don't like your behaviour, mother. Um, you know, we're all human at the end of the day, but it is, you know, there does have to be boundaries and rules and everybody has to abide by that to keep everyone safe and everybody happy. And there are going to be arguments along the way because we're human, we're not robots. Ah, there we go. Arguments a long way. So that was one of my fears because at home, when I was at home, it wasn't just an argument. If somebody yeah. raised their voice, 
it would go into a fight, mm. domestic violence. And that's the last thing I wanted for my children. So, of course, I was trying to have the picket white fence, the immaculate house, you know, doing all these different things because I wanted my children to come from a non-toxic house. But there are also consequences when you go the other way. Right. And I want to reassure anyone listening, thinking, oh, my God, what are you saying? Do you know what? The biggest thing I learned was through the counselling, through the parenting classes, just be me. And I've even yeah. said to my children, you know what? As a parent, I've made decisions on your behalf at that time with the information that I had, believing yeah. it was the best decision. Yes, if at any time I've upset you, I've offended you or hurt you unintentionally in any way, for that as a human being, I'm really sorry. Yeah. Because that's never been my attention. And now we do have some very difficult and challenging, you know, conversations. And, and yeah, it's okay to be pissed off with each yeah. other. Excuse my language. But yeah. that's normal. Yeah, it is. But I know what you're saying about trying to keep the peace because, again, like your household, any arguments did end up in DV, did end up in some kind of massive upset for everybody. So it was about treading on eggshells, keeping the peace. And that did filter through into my relationship as a mum, dad, all of that. And yes. we had to work through a lot of issues as mum and dad as parents um, with the children. So what did discipline look like? What did um, the rules and regulations look like as they got to teenagers and they went out and about? Um, is it gonna be diff, oh Ben, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. My son can do that, but my daughter can't do that, but that's not fair. But it's just because we've gone through what we've gone through and we're trying to do the best, aren't we, all of the time to keep everyone safe. And we assume, assume that boys are going to be safer than girls but not necessarily so it all depends on the individual child as to what they can actually cope with and what they can't cope with and yeah and how street smart they are how wise they are I think yeah That's but what even, I've learned. yeah sometimes even being street smart you know sadly you know mm. we we can't cover every odd that every occasion there but yeah so what we're trying to reassure everyone coming right back to the beginning because I'm watching that time Chris <laughs> don't you do me out of any minutes I'm not I'm not but I'm just making sure that we don't go on for yeah. a whole hour because the time yeah. just flies yeah it's okay to be normal as a parent as yeah. in you know what we can have some fun times but there's also some challenging times and times that we don't speak about and we're sometimes scared to speak about because being yeah. a parent is really challenging when we've been unable to be a child ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. when we want to change things. And I don't know about you, but I actually lived vicariously through my children to get my own childhood back. So I would take them to the park every day. I would get my little bum down that slide. I would get my little bum on that swing and I would swing I can't fit on it now, but back then I could. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no, I would do the things. So I was lucky, wasn't I, because I went into children's homes. And those experiences that brought me, you know, really good feelings, even now, they're the things that I want to continue with my children. Because in my way, um, that, was, that would be the best way to bring them up. 
one of the things I will say to you is one of the things, and I am going to just share this because it was really challenging. One of the things I struggled with at first when my children were very young is cuddling them all the time. It's not because I didn't love them, but I just thought I want them to be comfortable in their own space because I want them to know that I'm always here. Going back now, now I wish I'd cuddle them a lot, lot more. Yeah. But I believed at that time that sometimes leaving them was the best thing to do. So one day I'll be brave enough to ask my children what they really thought of me as a parent or think of me. <laughs> oh, might not like the answer for that one. But, you know, the, the cuddling and all of that, all I ever wanted to do was hear my children's laughter and make them happy every single day. And yes. I really strove to do that, even, even if inside I was really miserable, because it was hard work. Yeah. It was so much hard work, you know, to go to work full time, look after, uh, it was just so much hard work. Um, but that's all I cared about was hearing them laugh and making them happy. Absolutely. Um, but as they got older and they got bigger, it almost became a threat to me, as in they're like adult size. I'm talking when they were teenagers. Yes. They were adult size and they would come at me from different angles, from their perspective, really and instantly. But for me, massive trigger. Oh, yeah. Massive trigger. So as they got older and my sort of size, I became very, very not able to cuddle them. Yeah. Um, when they wanted to be cuddled whereas yeah. me if I went up and gave them a hug that's different because my brain is in gear my body's in tune and I could do that but if they came at me wanting to hug or do anything like that or come into my space it wasn't happening and I'm 52 now and I'm still working on that and oh lots of people have that as an issue and yet we don't speak about it Absolutely. And I'm with you, you know, because when we're in a certain mindset and we're concentrating to be able to relax and receive that cuddle is sometimes a challenge. Hence, I love a hug now. I love a hug, but I'm always asking people because there are times when someone wants to give me a hug and I'm like, no, not at the moment. That's why I always offer hugs. So what would be your last sharing thought that you'd like to give to anyone listening to this podcast, Chris? That being a parent, if you're able to and if you choose to be a parent, is the most rewarding thing. But it does come with challenges. And I just wish personally that I was more aware of the impact of trauma before I had my children and in those first few months of having children and that what I was going through was normal and I could have got help and support at that time if only I knew and I was aware of everything that I was going through. That, that, so that's what I would like to just put across as my message. Yeah. Well, I want to add to that and say, looking back with hindsight, I'd like every young person, and I mean that as a young teenager, um, a young adult, love them to have the information and the awareness yeah. for their own trauma so they can... So they're able to know that they have support because they found support, know and understand who they are before they go ahead and make those big changes. And they're making the choices out of 
where they are with support rather than reacting to those. And what's best for them, eh? And what's best, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was quite intense. For anyone listening, please, if you've got any questions that we haven't answered or anything that you'd like to know, contact us. There's details further in the comments. Please like and subscribe. If there's anything that you want to ask us, you know, we realise there's lots of different listeners from all ages and we have had some questions and we are responding to them and we've got some different subjects coming up. So um, please contact us because we'd be always interested to know what you'd like us to cover. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a goodbye then from me and... Goodbye for me. See you next week. <laughs> and Coco. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.